Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, we chat with Marty Machowski about his book, Parenting First Aid, Hope for the Discouraged. For more help on the topics we discuss today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Marty Machowski is a family life pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, where he has served on the pastoral staff for more than 20 years. Marty leads Promise Kingdom, the gospel-centered children's ministry of Covenant Fellowship. He and his wife Lois and their six children reside in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Hey there, Marty. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you, Christine. Well, before we get started in our conversation, would you take some time to share why you wanted to write this book? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, This book is a product of my life. So when I say hope for the discouraged, your listening audience should recognize that's exactly where I was. And over the years, as my children have grown and I've seen the faithfulness of God come through, I've found myself sharing those stories with others. And of course, writing a book expands the audience of people who you can help through the scriptures that once helped you. And so that was my desire. Lord, would you multiply the effectiveness of the grace which I saw come to my life in my time of discouragement and give it to others? That was my desire. And that's the reason why I wrote the book. I really appreciated the fact that you took Parenting First Aid, the book, and turned it into a supplemental study guide that people can use in a small group context. And I really appreciated the different insights you shared and the stories you told just from your own personal experiences, but also sharing experiences from other families. Now, as I was reading the book, I was wondering to myself, why do some parents think that they are the only ones facing certain parenting challenges. What makes them so hesitant to talk about what's really going on in their families? Well, it's interesting. One of the things that I felt initially is embarrassed. And I think people don't often hear pastors share the weaknesses. They don't often hear their leaders share the mistakes, the trials, the troubles. What I've discovered is as I have opened up with people to share what's going on in my life, then they have very quickly opened up and shared what's going on in their life. So here is, I want to debunk this falsehood. You're the only one going through this. No, there is no temptation that's come upon you except that which is common to man. And that's true of troubles as well. We all experience various trials. And yet, it can be embarrassing to share those stories. And so what I've hoped to do in Parenting First Aid is share my stories that can help people then want to open up and get help. Because as we share our stories with others, we receive the opportunity to be encouraged by them and uh, solicit their prayers. And I, I just can't think of how I would have done without the help 
and the prayers of the people around me that could help me once I eventually did share. It almost makes me wonder, Marty, where we as Christian parents get the notion that parenting struggles or different conflicts we might have with our children are abnormal. I don't know if it's because of social media influences these days or what it might be, but just that temptation, like you said, to believe that we're the only ones, you know, who are maybe dealing with a rebellious child or a wayward child or a child who's experiencing some kind of difficulty and and we've got a fractured relationship. And so it's just really interesting to come to the scriptures as you take us here in this study and see uh, that these are not unique challenges. Do you have any comments about why you think we are tempted to believe Christian parents or Christian families should be kind of a cut above and that they shouldn't be in conflict with their children or shouldn't be experiencing different trials related to waywardness or even rebellion? Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. As believers, uh, the Bible says that we are a cut above in some ways. You know, when you read you're a chosen race and a royal priesthood, I mean, those kinds of scriptures uh, set us up rightly so for uh, being the people of God who are going to reap the blessings of God. Mm -hmm. Those, though— are ultimately fulfilled in heaven. They're not all happening here at earth, and, and yet we get a taste. And then you have this other issue, and that is, if you're going through a struggle personally, to share that with somebody else is to simply open up your life. But if your child is going through a really challenging struggle, you have the desire to want to honor and respect them. And so it's not as easy to just openly share it with everybody. And as a result, the instinct to not want to be embarrassed and the instinct to want to protect our children and the whole idea that I'm supposed to be this, you know, royal priesthood doing really fine, you know, walking in the, the grace of God, all those things kind of come together to make you want to close up. And it will actually keep you from sharing in appropriate context in your small group with your close fellowship in your family relationships everybody can kind of you know keep those troubles secret and in a world where all the christians are trying to keep their troubles secret it really can feel like i'm the only one going through this how does god use trials in our parenting to grow both parents and children the bible is clear god has a purpose in our trials nothing happens apart from his sovereign control so I think of uh, in the first chapter of James, where it says that trials test our faith and they produce steadfastness, endurance, long suffering in our lives. As I look back on the parenting trials that I have had, they have drawn me to the Lord, forced me to my knees more than anything else in my life. I can remember when my son was arrested for the first time and uh, getting a call from the police, that just driving to me to my knees and there as I'm praying, I sense that the Lord's message for me is, Marty, I don't want you parenting standing up. I want you parenting kneeling down. And now as I look back, I'm able to encourage others, as you said earlier in the pre-interview, with the encouragement that I myself have received from Christ. And when I talk to parents who are going through struggles and I'm able to share what God has done 
in helping me. It's having to had in to endure that gives them faith that they will also endure. You know, if I have somebody that I can connect my story to, then that story's effectiveness and service in the kingdom is multiplied by God. So I think God is about drawing us in. Think of Israel. Whenever they strayed away from God, he allowed trials to come, and that brought them back. And if God is the most excellent, most beautiful, most wonderful thing that we could give ourselves to, then for him to not bring us back, to not use trials to draw us near to him, would be to deprive us of the greatest blessing himself. And so God allows trials. He draws us back in, and then he comforts us in our sorrows. Marty, recently I was talking to a group of moms, and we all were lamenting over how difficult it is when our children just completely unload on us as parents, rejecting our authority and sometimes even expressing hatred towards us. What's even more difficult is not answering them with an angry, defensive response. So how do you counsel parents to navigate these difficult situations? I can remember a time when I felt like I wanted to wring one of my children's neck, and I was like, in my mind, ready to get physical. And my wife saw it. She's like, okay. She stands between me and the child, and she's like, okay, just relax. Everybody relax. So I, I shared that just to say that I know what that feels like. And yet, as we look at the scripture, again, we see in James, the anger of man does not achieve the righteous life that God requires. And, and Solomon says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. What I've learned is the, the secret to reaching, one of the secrets to reaching your children is to love them when they don't expect it to give them a gentle answer when they expect wrath, to demonstrate the love of God when they're expecting the retribution that should rightly come to them. I was having a conversation with my oldest son, who I mentioned about being arrested, let's say within the last five years, long after the Lord had saved him, drawn him back. I said, Nathan, you know, what affected you in those moments when we were going through those trials. And he reflected back on a time when he got into some really big trouble and we were having a conversation. He said, Dad, I thought you were going to take away everything I had. I thought you were going to force me to stay in the house forever. I thought you were just going to unload on me. And instead, you put your hand on my shoulder and you began to pray for me. And you began to encourage me. And your love gave me a picture of what God's love is like for me. I thought, Lord, thank you for giving me that wisdom. There was a time when I had to pull my family together and I said to them all, I said, look, we've become an angry house. And I confessed my anger. My wife confessed her anger. And then one by one, I gave the children, the oldest of which at the time was probably 12, the opportunity to share if they think that they've also struggled with anger. And one by one, each of them shared uh, down to the last one who uh, was probably three, you know, wanted to participate. Me too. I don't know what they said, but uh, what Amelia said, but I just remember we all confessed and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. If anybody gets angry, 
anyone in our house can walk up to them, put their hand gently on their side as a reminder that we need the grace of God and anger is not going to help us. And from that day forward, we began to grow. And so that helped me in those days of greatest trial when I had children just shouting at me to not give a harsh answer, but to give a gentle reply. And I could just say that's God's plan. That's in his word. He says that it works. And so we can trust him that it does our love in the midst of conflict will have lasting impact on our children and is a far more effective tool than anger could ever be. If we're in a moment where our children are really just pointing out all of our failures, what do we do? I mean, do we just withdraw and say everyone needs to go to their corners and cool off for a minute before we even attempt to try to come together to pray? Or what What do you think would be wise in the thick of that type of a situation? Well, there's a million scenarios, and every one of them is slightly different. So I don't think that there's any one thing to do. But let me give you a few suggestions. When children accuse you, they can have ill intent, but sometimes what they're sharing is actually true. You never listen. You always jump on me. You didn't ask me a single question. And you think, you know what? They're right. I did jump to conclusions. I might be 100% right, but I didn't ask a question. I wouldn't say retreat. If the Spirit of God is showing you, hey, there's some truth to what they're sharing, there is nothing like apologizing and asking forgiveness and asking for a restart. You know what? You're, You're right. I'm so sorry I did not ask a single question, and I am running to judgment. Would you please forgive me? Now, would you allow me to ask you some questions? That that is so much more effective than, oh, oh, like I'm the one that has the problem. Look what you did, and now you're blaming me because I didn't ask a few questions? I mean, that is so quick to come out of our mouths. On the other hand, if things are about to get physical and everybody is on edge, it can be great to say, look, time out, time out. We all need to take a moment separate and pray. This is not going to serve anyone. Let's do this. I'm going to go take a walk around the block. I need to clear my head. Why don't we just all take a moment to pray and ask God for grace? And then as it seems wise, let's schedule a time where we can talk about this again. So when I come back, I'm just going to come and all I'm going to talk about is creating a time where we can talk. So you don't have to worry. We're not going to get into this conflict again. We're just going to look for a time, and that might be tomorrow morning, but everybody, let's break. That That's a good thing to do as well. And, and then a, a thousand in the middle. So, you know, there really isn't one right answer, but being willing to confess and then looking for opportunities when we can talk about things in a calm manner. And I'll just add one more thing, is that as parents, we are notorious for wanting to discuss and disciple in the midst of conflict. We had had years to talk about what does it look like to honor God. We didn't take devotional time. We didn't disciple. But now all of a sudden, in the midst of a poor choice that one of our children make, in the midst of that being revealed right there, we want to teach 
the seven-point sermon on why they need to honor God and how they should be doing that. Well, that's just not the time. There may be need for correction, but our discipleship and our instruction is always best to come in times of calm. So when that happens and you get the idea for those seven steps to honor God, write that down on a piece of paper to schedule. Maybe two weeks from that date, you begin to teach. But we want to cram it into a conflict, and it really can exasperate our kids. That's really helpful information, Marty. Thank you for helping me just think through that. We're talking about really heartbreaking situations, and you really do a fantastic job of encouraging parents in this particular study, especially in the area that God understands. What do the scriptures say about God understanding what it is to be a weary parent, and how does that offer us hope in the midst of a difficult parenting season? Well, I I can remember in the midst of a discouraging season, uh, as I was reading through the scriptures, I came across Isaiah 1. And in the very beginning, Isaiah is prophesying on behalf of God. So Isaiah is speaking, but he's speaking in the first person for God. And he says, children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. And he calls them corrupt. They've forsaken the Lord. And I thought, oh my, wait a minute. God presents himself as a parent with rebellious children. He understands what I'm going through. And then I thought, oh my, he had the first two perfect children in Adam and Eve outright reject him and rebel. And has since been establishing a family where he's reaching out to his children and they are turning away again and again. And then in the middle of that first chapter of Isaiah, he talks about uh, what Israel's doing, their sacrifices and keeping the feasts. And he says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. I saw that word weary, and I thought, Lord, you know, you understand, you know what it feels like to have given your all, your love, and see your children desert you. I thought, wow, that is comforting. And and I thought, what did you do, God? What did you do? And I thought, wait a minute, here is Almighty God, all-powerful, all-knowing, and he, apart from what he goes to in the last part of Isaiah 1, is unable, the all-powerful God is unable to produce righteous, obedient children. I thought, if God Almighty can't do it, how on earth am I expected to do it, except for where he goes in the end? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. How are our sins, how are our children's sins, how were Israel's sins going to be made white as the snow? We know through the blood of Jesus Christ. So God the Father's answer to his rebellious children that he could not become or get to be obedient was the cross. 
his son would live the obedient life for them and take upon their sins and die on the cross as their substitute so that they could be forgiven, the Spirit could be poured out, they could be born again, transformed, and renewed by God. I thought, that's his answer. That's his answer for his children, of whom I believe my children are also members of that family. So what's the answer, Marty? The answer is that God understands he himself described his anguish as being weary. What's my answer? The same answer that he gave for his kids. I need to entrust my children to the gospel and the salvation of the Lord. And that just helped me. It just helped me. Yeah, so much hope in in that particular passage. Just thank you for unpacking that for us. And Marty, there may be someone listening who hears what you're saying. You just spoke about how God can identify with their struggles. And yet maybe the struggle they're in with their child is something that has gone on for a really long time. And so this listener gets that God understands, but just feels like God is silent or distant and not really doing anything to help the family towards some kind of resolution in this particular trial that they're in. So how do you encourage parents who feel like God is being silent during those times? God sometimes is silent. He doesn't give us that immediate answer. He calls us to wait. I believe it's in Isaiah where Isaiah says, wait upon the Lord and you'll mount up on wings like eagles and you will run and not be weary. So, so how I, I want the run and not be weary. So then what is my answer? Wait, it's coming. Now, I think I would be wrong to communicate that every one of our children in every case is going to repent and it's just a matter of time. Because I know children who've suffered tragic consequences who did not repent. And I know kids who were in auto accidents. I know kids who overdosed on heroin. And their parents would say, oh, I waited and, and I was met with tragedy. But in the midst of my difficulty, here is what I said, and this is the hope that we have. We must trust a sovereign God. And I want to make sure that I will when I get to heaven, by God's grace, say, Lord, I didn't understand, but I waited. I was faithful. I do not want to, in the midst of difficulty with my children, give up. I don't want to give up. I want to keep going. I want to keep trusting. Let the banner over my life be. He trusted in the Lord. He didn't understand, didn't know what God was doing, but he trusted the Lord down to the last moment. And when we get to heaven, we're going to discover that our ways are not God's ways, that he was good. He was just. 
He had a plan. He had a purpose. He worked all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And everything worked according to the counsel of his will. And believing that, that God is sovereign, that he's in control, that all the days marked out for me were known by God before one of them came to be, that's where I'm going to place my trust because everything else is shifting sands. I'm going to stand on the rock. And that's what I would say to parents who are discouraged, who feel like they've been waiting so long and have seen no good fruit. They don't see even where good fruit could come. Wait on the Lord. Do not give up. And he will give you strength. By his spirit, you will run and not be weary. That's our hope and our prayer. It is true, Marty, that we can really have a hard time seeing where the fruit is going to come. And I think when we're in a lot of pain, especially in a parent-child relationship, I like to think of it as all we can see around us are just these pixels. You know, it's like you're up close to a TV screen and you just see the squares of the different colors and you're not really sure how it all comes together. But God sees the whole picture. You know, we see pixels, he sees the whole picture. And it's sometimes just really difficult to try to reorient our hearts and our minds to that heaven-minded perspective. So how can seeing our lives through the lens of an eternal kingdom help us to gain that perspective, especially in the midst of our parenting trials? It's a, it's a great question. It, you know, the scripture gives us a clue when it calls our challenges light and momentary. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. I don't think of my trials as light and they don't seem like they're momentary. But you have to realize it's in comparison, you know, Paul tells the Corinthians this, to the eternal weight of glory. And the way I describe it is imagine for a moment that your child is bitten by a poisonous snake and you take them to the hospital and the doctor comes out with a piece of paper. He says, look, Good news and bad news. Yes, they were bitten by a poisonous snake. Um, that's the bad news. The good news is we have the antidote, the antivenin. Um, just sign here and we'll give them the shot. You sign immediately. They go into the room. They call you in. The child's looking up at you. The doctor fills the syringe and he flicks the syringe. The child sees the needle and the surgeon asks you to hold your child down, please. And so you do. You, you physically, what looks like, come against them in this trial in the moment. And as the needle pricks the skin of the child, they are calling out, Mom, Dad, how could you allow this to happen to me? So the, the momentary prick of the needle is producing a life free of the effects of the poison and maybe saving them from death. And, and so later on when they're on the other side of that and they're all recovered, I say, well, of course, that momentary prick, that light affliction produced this eternal weight. Well, you have to understand that our entire lives here on earth and the sum of all those trials are the pinprick of the needle that God the Father looks down. He sees that. He understands the suffering, but he's saying, look, I'm producing something that's going to live with me forever in glory. And in comparison to this eternal weight of glory, the pinprick is a light and momentary trouble. 
So, and that's what, what Paul says next to the Corinthians. He says, so fix your eyes on what is unseen, not on what is seen. Folks, we are in the pinprick when we're in our trials, but God is producing endurance and character and hope and he is producing a testimony of his faithfulness. Other people are watching us endure our trials, and they're gaining strength to endure their trials. We have no idea what God is doing all together. So I would say stand strong. Recognize one day you'll look back, and you'll rejoice in what God did in you and through you. Marty, would you take a few minutes to share one scripture that has, I mean, I'm sure there are many, so this might be hard to choose just one, but we've got time, I think, for one. Uh, one scripture that has personally ministered to you in your parenting journey? I think probably, and this goes right along with what I just shared, is Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That is where I lived in the midst of trial. Okay. I am not going to allow myself to grow weary in doing good because I am going to believe that as I till the soil, as I pull the weeds, as I water the ground with the gospel, that Lord, you, Lord of the harvest are going to cause the seeds to sprout, the plants to grow, and reap for me, on my behalf, a harvest. And that helped me most to stay the course. I was just thinking as you were answering that, I wonder if we could touch real quick on the topic of motivation, because I think there can be sometimes the temptation that... If we follow some kind of parenting formula or a parenting approach and we think, okay, here's the list of things I'm called to do as a Christian parent. And if I do all these things, I will produce a child who is obedient, compliant, successful, a ministry leader or whatever the case may be, you know, whatever hopes that we might have for our kids. And so I almost wonder if there is a caution about, you know, what is my motivation in loving my children in the way that God calls me to, especially in the midst of difficulty, is my motivation to glorify God and trust him with the result? Or is my motivation to co-opt God in order to try to produce a desired effect of my own will? Yeah, I think that's a real temptation because who doesn't want to have ease? Who doesn't want prosperity? Who doesn't want success? Uh, we all want those things, but it's important to recognize that our success, uh, the pursuit of it, is a heavenly one. You know, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. You know, it's easy to want good things, and because good things are just that, they're good, they're not bad, and we're going to have them all in heaven. But we have to remember that God has a plan. You look in the Old Testament, there are just stories of tragedy one after another. And in the New Testament, we learn these are all written down so that we can learn from them. If they hadn't taken place, we wouldn't learn from them. And so we're not always going to be like Gideon, where God completely slays our enemy without trouble. And all we take is a handful of men 
you know, uh, clay pots and some lanterns and, and, and trumpets, you know. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace, and it was in the furnace that they met the fourth man, the Son of God, there joining with them. Paul, God used trials and persecutions to move him from city to city to accomplish this. So, so God uses trial. He's the master uh, storyteller, and uh, we just need to be careful that our focus is not on the worldly outcome, but God's glory. When the focus is God's glory, we can be assured that we are in concert, parallel, in line with God's will, because God is all about his glory. But if it's our comfort, well, that may not be God's purpose in this. He might have something else in store. And living for ourselves can end up in disappointment. But living for God's glory never does. Yeah, a good, really good reminder yeah. that God's glory is the goal and not our own glory or our own success or comfort in the midst of uh, parenting challenges. Now, Marty, we've got time for a couple more questions. So I want to ask you, I always love to bring focus uh, at the end of a conversation to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and his wonderful gospel. Now, how does remembering all that Jesus suffered help us to endure as parents, especially when, like I mentioned before, we're really, we're in with our children for a really significant long season of suffering or of conflict or broken relationships. How can we look to Jesus' suffering and find hope and help through that? Well, the Bible tells us that he was tempted like us in every way, yet did not sin. And as a result of him becoming a man and living a human life and enduring rejection, enduring false accusation, enduring physical pain, even taking our sin upon himself and being rejected by God the Father in our stead, he becomes a great high priest. So think about it. Here's Jesus. He's endured all of these things so that he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And he is now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. The Bible then says, so boldly come to the throne of grace and you will find help in your time of need. Why can we find help in our time of need? How can we be assured of that? How is it that when we pray, we know that God understands? Because in the person of Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, endured what we endure. He felt what we feel. He knows what it's like. So as we cry out to the Lord, we know we have a sympathetic high priest who is able uh, to see and know our weaknesses. So we can run to the throne of grace. Jesus does understand. He lived and walked the walk that we are walking. Well, he didn't have children. He had disciples, and they acted like children quite quite a few times. So he understands. 
It does make me remember of the time when he was lamenting about how he almost like, I think he likened himself to a mother hen and like, Israel, how much I have longed to just gather you under my wing and you refused. So even though he didn't have children of his own, just that longing for God's children, Israel, to come and take refuge in him. Also, too, you were talking about the sympathy of Jesus. And I love there's a Charles Spurgeon quote where he says, the sympathy of Jesus is the next most precious thing to his sacrifice. And I think it's so true. Well, Marty, I am going to ask you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who is feeling weary from heart-rending parenting trials. Maybe they feel like they're at the end of their rope. They just don't know how to better navigate their own failures and their child's constant rebellion, what would you say to this parent to encourage them to trust that God is at work, both in their heart and in the heart of their child? I would just say, as you're listening, know this, you're not alone. I know what it's like. I know what it feels like to endure disappointment at the gut-wrenching level. You're not alone. There are people God has placed in and around you that you can draw on. Share with those people as the Spirit leads. But most importantly, you're not alone. The Lord knows your trial. He has grace for you. You might think that grace has run out, but God's fountain of grace is an ever-flowing fountain that is powered by greater waters than the ocean. His grace is unending and never failing. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. They will come at you like fiery darts. You might as well give up. God doesn't care. He's not helping you. Those are lies that you must resist. Resist the devil, the scriptures say, and he will flee. So uh, just on your behalf, I just say, Lord, would you pour out your grace we come against the lies of the enemy, and we command him to flee, that strength and grace might surround those who are within the hearing of my voice, and fresh hope for today, and a bright hope for tomorrow, would come upon them like after a storm, the sun beams through the opening in the clouds and lights up the earth. Let hope come in a fresh way, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Marty, for those encouraging words. I want to give you the opportunity to connect with the audience. If there's someone listening today who wants to learn more about your ministry, you have a wealth of resources available, a number of books that you've authored for children and for parents. And so where can they go online to connect with you to learn more about your resources and your studies? You can go to my website, martymachowski.com. My last name is spelled Macho W. Ski. And uh, if you go on Amazon, search for my name, you'll get my books. You can also go to newgrowthpress.com. And that's the publisher of all of my books. And you can find my resources there. Uh, so that's where you can find out about me. 
If you are interested in connecting with Marty, go ahead and scroll down to the show notes of this episode. Click the link there and that will take you to a web page where you can access the links that Marty just mentioned to explore his biblical resources. Well, Marty, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. I know it was a conversation that I needed to have and I know so many parents who will be blessed to hear the biblical wisdom and counsel that you share in this conversation. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. It's been a joy to be with you, Christine. Thank you. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.